Moto America fans, it's time for another episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you may even learn something from this unlikely pair and their special guest. The mic is yours, Paul and Sean. Hello, Moto America fans, and I'm not sure if you realize this, but Virginia is for lovers, and Virginia is for road racing, and that's where we are this weekend at Virginia International Raceway. Um, and as always, I'm joined by our communications manager, Paul Carruthers, on the other side. And this guy in the middle, you may have seen before. He's been on our podcast a few times. Uh, he also does a lot in our broadcast for Moto America now, and he works with riders. And he's going to be racing this weekend, and it's, it's Josh Hayes, four-time Superbike champion. Uh, 83 all-time AMA wins. Um, he is second only to Miguel Duhamel in that uh, category. And maybe he can get a little closer to Miguel this weekend, and that's what we're going to talk to Josh about. So, Josh, you were, you were at Daytona. Um, i got to tell you something. I, I watched Daytona again. And so shiny. <laughs> <laughs> and you could have won that race, Josh. Do you, do you know that? It's the only reason I showed up. Right, right. <laughs> and, it was, and you know the draft better than anybody. we got to talk about that. I mean, you're positioned. Let's, let's hear from you what, what happened on that last. Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, I felt like the last lap didn't tell the story of my race. You know? Right. But um, after a pretty solid race, uh, I kind of knew I was in trouble – when we went through the infield, we went through the infield at kind of a normal pace, like a, a 150, sec, you know, minute, 50 second pace. And when we got out onto the West Banking about halfway around, uh, I think it was Sheridan, Cameron, me, and and uh, Brandon behind me. And Cameron pulled out of the draft. And, and about the timing that he did that, Sheridan shut it down to about half throttle because nobody wanted to lead anymore. And I wouldn't have had a problem with leading. The problem that I had was when Cameron had pulled out of the draft, I was still in Sheridan's. And so now I had Sheridan slow down, Cameron go, no, I'm not going to go past you. And then I had the wall on the right. So I was kind of boxed in, not knowing where Brandon was. And we were now going really slow on the banking. We weren't accelerating anymore. So I kind of knew I was in trouble. Um, and we all just kind of went through the chicane in our in our positions as we were. And as we came out, everybody was kind of looking at one another like, okay, who's going to go? Um, uh, I, I already knew I was in a little bit of trouble. My gearing was, a, I think, a tooth taller than the other Yamahas. And uh, it was uh, kind of the way we had worked out our, our strategy on the weekend. I had pretty good legs on top. I've been able to pass a lot of guys and, and play a, a part at the, the checkered flag a lot more than I had in previous races. But I was hurting a little on acceleration. So especially, I would say, out of uh, turn six, second gear turns, turn five, turn six, um, the, the West Horseshoe and then going on to the West Banking. I struggled a little bit coming out of the chicane. I struggled a little bit, but I had pretty good legs on top. And when they slowed it down again on the, on the main primary banking after the chicane, and it came down to a matter of just a, a jump that really played into the hands of Brandon. Um, I think that the, the three Yamahas, we had really good legs. And if we had done a normal lap, um, in the 150 pace with us drafting each other, I have a, just my feeling of how it had all played out to that point, I think it would have been a Yamaha one, two, three. But uh, everybody's kind of thinking how they want to win the race, and when they slowed it down, they kind of played into his favor mm. a little bit. So, and I, I ended up being the loser in that one. Mm. You felt like, I mean, 
Okay, I'm not going to do the math, but your birthday's your birth date is April 4th, 1975. You just celebrated a birthday. I'm not going to do the math on it, but my point is, <laughs> it's you, have, you haven't retired yet. You, we know that you you're not going to do well. Yeah, maybe someday you will. I, I mean, I, I, you, <laughs> there's 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 no greener pasture. You know what I mean? Like there's right. not, retirement. No, I, I'm I'm enjoying. Getting to do all the different things I get to do in this industry, and if I get to ride, then that's great. You know, so. part of it though is you're you're arguably doing way more than you were doing when you were a factory rider for Yamaha, oh, aren't yeah. you? I'm much busier. Much <laughs> that life was simple, right? You, you know, you trained to be a motorcycle racer once in a while. Once in a while, I had to be a husband. <laughs> that, that was the extent of my life, right there. So, um, your identity is all just wrapped up in a pretty simple package. And now, you know, I'm a I'm a husband father, homeowner, uh, you know, like all these other things that come into it. I'm, I'm coaching and mentoring a lot of guys, uh, helping with logistics on other things. And there's a lot of, a lot of things that people, the people protected you from and kept the pressures away from you when you were trying to be a selfish athlete. So a lot of that stuff's changed, you know, but, um, knowing we were doing Daytona and that it wasn't just on our bike, we were going to do it with a, with a team of people who were relying on me to show up and be me. I got to do quite a bit of training and do some preparation. And I actually felt really good when I got to Daytona. I felt like the old me. And so even with our little infraction that happened and starting on the back of the grid, you know, I tried to tell, impress on the team that I wasn't too concerned. I felt like I was there to do, you know, 57 hard laps that I would be okay. And I, I never could have dreamed I would be in third place on lap four. You know, yeah, that but was crazy. <laughs> it was a quick run it was, through. Um, the, yeah. And it was so funny because as it was happening, you know, things, it, it just, a lot of serendipity. Everything lined up exactly how I needed it to. Uh, right off the start, I actually ran off turn one, but I still managed to make a position or two, even going wide out on there because everybody just bunched up. Um, just placed myself in the right place, and then there were no big gaps. So every time I made a move, I was immediately in the draft of another bike and able to just leapfrog and, and work my way through. And uh, the only time I really got back to anything that was difficult was when I got up to third, fourth, fifth, and found myself, I went, I was transported right back to 2009. You know, I had had Cameron and, and Max riding really well, about a second and a half in front of us. And here I am battling with Josh Herring and Danny Eslick. <laughs> so, <laughs> they were not interested in all in what was going on a second and a half up the road. It was death. You. Life or death you. Right there. <laughs> you know, it was just, it was like old times, you know, it was pretty funny. But this year, so, you know, one of the things about you is you're very analytical as a rider and, and as a coach, obviously. So I want to talk about this whole super sport next generation. It's a big thing to uncrack. But at Daytona, I was absolutely amazed at how kind of equal things were. And maybe maybe I mean, we understand what happened to Josh Heron with running out of gas. I don't know if he would have won the race. But my point is we had a pretty good mix-up of makes and displacements of, of motorcycles in that race, and I mean, the R6 can still get it done, it seems like. I, I thought the parody at Daytona worked out better than I ever could have imagined it would, quite honestly. I thought, man, uh, considering it was the first time, like the first time anything had been run under the rules package, I couldn't believe how well they had done. The, the, there were bikes that had advantages in areas, but at, the, at some point, Every bike had a place where it could be competitive and have an advantage in some way, and everything was competitive. I don't think there was a bike that wasn't. I thought that probably the the 
one that I saw that I thought had the clearest advantage, quite honestly, was Max Angles. Um, mm. The 636 having a little extra capacity, but allowed all the same things that the 600s are allowed to, to boost them up where they're bringing the other stuff down with the controlled ECUs. Um, they not being able to control that with the ECU, it has a little bit of an advantage. And right. I thought on speed, especially at like Daytona, like I, this is not taking anything away from Max, who I thought was riding really well. But the bike clearly had big speed. And and for me, it was the most difficult one on the track for me to be able to get myself into a position to make a move on. Mm -hmm. um, I, I could play with all the other bikes pretty evenly. And I spent quite a bit of time. I rode with Josh. I rode with Danny quite a bit. You know, I got to see Brandon on track. And uh, we had not seen the, the GSX-Rs, the big GSX-Rs show up yet. And uh, so this will be the really, I, I got to watch it on the side of the track a little bit at, uh, with Lockoff at uh, Road Atlanta. But here will be the first time for me to kind of see it on track and see how it does. But, you know, it's kind of unique to, to Moto America where they're not having those in the other championships. So it might take a little bit of time to uh, sort that out and, you know, for the leveling to really get proper. But, you know, anytime you have this where you're going to have this, this electronic way of leveling these motorcycles and there's adjustments, you're going to have winners and losers. There's going to be the bike to be on for a couple of weekends, and then it might get adapted or changed and not be so great for a couple of weeks. And it's going to kind of play its way out a little bit for here for a little, for a little while, I would imagine. Now, it seems like the position you're in is kind of cool because you get to kind of pick and choose what you want to do. I mean, yeah. you, you're obviously not on a full super sport schedule or you would have raced at Road Atlanta. So you get to pick and choose. And you've had great success here. Yeah. Did that play into it like, you know, hey, let's let's go do VIR or it didn't work that way? Well, after Daytona, I mean, the, the Peter Strack, Jordan, Josh, uh, RB, all the guys, the whole Squid Hunter team, you know, they we all had a really good time. I was impressed with what a great motorcycle they showed up and provided me. Uh, you know, it rivaled some of the pro teams I've ridden with. It was a, it was a fantastic machine. We did a day of testing. We got through three days at, at the racetrack with no snafus, and the bike was just, it performed well. It was a winning motorcycle, I, I felt. So um, they seemed to enjoy working with me, and, we, and for the first time, you know, that team's done the Daytona 200 for a few years. It's the first time that it was the same spec as the rest of Moto America's championship. So we had a motorcycle that we could go race, mm -hmm. and it was like, hey, you guys want to do something else? And we all discussed it and said, yeah, we'd like to do that. Road Atlanta was a bit of a quick hop for us to get it done. There is still some differences with all the chassis stuff and the quick change and the things like that that needed to get transferred over. And they're not a full-time pro team like you have here. So mm -hmm. um, we talked a little bit. I kind of made some jokes with Peter about, you know, he's like, well, would you want to do Road Atlanta or Virginia? And I go, I go, really, honestly, it's kind of up to you. You know, if you want to do both, that's good. I go, if you want to do one or the other, they're both really good racetracks for me. Uh, they're from Florida, so it, these are both East Coast, kind of close to them racetracks. And um, I said, the, the biggest problem you're going to have is if you decide to do both, you're going to be in big trouble because I'm going to be leaving the points and you're not going to be able to quit. <laughs> you know what I mean? right. So I, about three weeks later, I get, hey, let's do Virginia. <laughs> I was like, all right, sounds good. But um, no, I mean, like, I think this is kind of like the more fun they have, the more they'll want to do. And I'm just, I feel lucky, you know, that I get to go out and race a motorcycle again. And uh, there are, it, it's fun for me because honestly, you know, hindsight's 2020. And, and in my career, I had learned a lot of things and done a lot of things, but I was pretty set in my ways on a lot of those things too, where I would test a part. And if it didn't perform the way I was expecting it to, I'm like, no, no, no. I feel like I don't have time to mess with that. And now having watched 
so closely at such close, you know, from just barely outside and listen and hear a lot of the things that go on on the racetrack. I feel like there are a lot of things that I've learned in the last few years that I'm excited to get a chance to try to apply for myself and understand some of those things better. And so I feel like on a technical standpoint, standpoint, I can be a better rider than I was when I was winning. So that's funny. So with all the experience and success you had, you maybe have gotten better by not doing that. Uh, well, <laughs> by, by you know, by listening and learning from the pros that are out there now, right? Because like when you're how they when, do things different than I did it, and you know? when you're in it the way you were in it, there's you're, probably not a lot of listening going on, right? Well, I mean, you're I I try you try to, but you don't deviate from what's working very much either. Right. You know, got your, your focus is pretty narrow, and so this has been able to open my eyes up to some new ideas and. And allow me some time to kind of digest it and understand it and say, okay, how can I apply it and make it work? So I, I'm kind of enjoying that I get to I get to grow with the technology a little bit at the same time. I get to watch some of the guys. I mean, my my riding style anyway was a was honestly just a I, coaching wasn't a thing when I came up racing. Right. So we learned from our peers that just what we saw on racetrack, we'd see somebody do something and go. Shit, I don't know if I can do that, but I got to go try to figure it out. And we did. And, and you learned a lot that way. And my riding was a, a mix of all the people I raced against. They were my heroes. When I got to pro racing and I got on track with Miguel and Matt and Nikki and, you know, uh, Jamie Hacking, Aaron Yates, the Bostroms, Doug yeah. Chandler, like all of them had something that you would see and go, man, I want, I want that in my bag of tricks. And the more of those you have, like the more tricks you got, right? Mm-hmm. So my riding was a mix of, of all of those guys and finding my favorite things that I saw firsthand on track, those guys do, and tried to keep it for myself. And now I've been doing it a little bit from the side. And, and honestly, as much as you can see with the eyes, my ears, I think, are probably the thing that I'm using the most. I can <laughs> be listening to the guys, what they're doing with the throttle and things like that I have been a really key role in me learning some new things and I, I'm excited to go out there and try to adapt those things into, into practice. Yeah. Know? I was wondering if it'd be difficult to do like, you know, practice what you preach kind of thing and you preach to these guys certain <laughs> things. And then yeah. is it hard to actually go do it yourself? Um, sometimes and not always, but sometimes, I mean, I, I still have some habits that are just like, you know, always trying to make up that bike length or two. And there are times where we talk about the trade-offs. I did think about those things, but honestly, when you get into a super bike, Superbike versus 600, it's a little bit easier to, to play those trade-offs pretty quickly, you know, and, and the 600 is a little harder. You, you give up one or two here to gain two or three here. It, it ends up only being a bike length or two in the wash, where the Superbike, it can be a greater right. deal. So, uh, I mean, but no, I like, I, I, I still believe in the things that I'm passing along. A lot of them are based on experience, and uh, but I'm also learning from them and trying to figure out how those things fit together and adapt it. And, and not a lot of those guys get the opportunity to compete whenever you're doing that and, and actually put it into practice. So I'm, I'm thankful to have that shot. So when you were, you were with Yamaha and you were in the middle of kind of your run of success in Superbike and you're winning a lot of races, you know, breaking records, looking at that time period versus now, are you, are you happier now as a person than you were then, about the same? Do you think you're more fulfilled now? Where, where are you as a person compared to then? Because I keep thinking you were so focused at that time period. It was like, 
just laser focused on what you were doing. Yeah. But now, no, know. and I still feel that guy inside, you right. know, but uh, no, I, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, like, I mean, I've got family and I've got a lot of things and that, that are going on in life that are the natural transitions in life. You know, you can move on to the next thing, you know, but I still feel all those feelings and my transition happened overnight. Like right. I finished at Barber. Uh, I was a super bike racer. We went to dinner that night as a team and had kind of our team dinners that we do. We would do anytime somebody left the team. And the next day, everybody was testing and I wasn't a part of it. Right. And, and like, you know, the next day I woke up and it was like, here's my super pregnant wife. Everybody's <laughs> testing and I'm going to be the guy that helps the kids on R3s. <laughs> like it, it, it really quickly transitioned for me, which was really not that, not that easy. Um, and I, I mean, I don't feel, I, I feel some of the same pressures from inside myself to perform well. Uh, it was easier at that time to put a position on that. You know, when you're in the thick of it, it was easy to go, I expect to win today because I know where everybody else is and where I am because I get to see it week in and week out. Um, where coming into this, I have the hope and I have the belief that I think I can win these races here this weekend based on Daytona. I feel motivated. I've trained. I feel good. And, uh, but I got to get on track with the guys and see what's actually happening out there. You well, know? I bet and, you're chomping at the you know, bit to do that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I am. <laughs> but it's hard for me to say, oh yeah, I'm coming here and I'm going to win all these races because I, I raced some of these guys at Daytona. Daytona is kind of its own unique program. Right. You know, and um, coming here to VIR is very physical track. It's going to be really hot. And I, I'm, I think uh, a lot of the habits that were ingrained into me that I, the, the, just the going through the motions that I went through in the past has always served me pretty well. I jumped on a MotoGP bike. I didn't do too bad. I just went through my routine. And if I show up here and I go through my routine, I think I'm going to be competitive and it should put me in a position where I could possibly win. The, the big thing was when I looked at road Atlanta, I really didn't see anything super impressive as far as lap times go. Right. And so if, if they give me a chance, <laughs> it could be dangerous for them. Well, this know? is what I want to talk about. So VIR, Paul in his preview chronicled the fact that you've had a lot of success at VIR. You mm -hmm. won a cup, you know, two races, races in super sport I think it was your last two races in super sport here your last super bike race here or super bike race weekend mm -hmm. here you that was your last victory so you know this track you like it so mm -hmm. you're going to be racing here you're also racing against a guy who won the last two rounds who was a former teammate of yours a guy that kind of followed in your footsteps a little bit got a championship in the middle of your run a guy that you've coached recently. I don't think there's anybody that knows Josh Heron better than you do. So my question to you is, what's Josh Heron, what's that going to be like? As well as there? you can know Josh Heron. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I know he's an enigma, but I totally get that. But but you know him better than anybody. And I think as far as racecraft and, and what you know, what you've seen of that bike, you're going to be out there in this R6. What's the plan? Well, I mean, I got to see it at Daytona and I feel right. like I have a bike that's every bit competitive with it. Okay. Um, I think that, Josh is the most experienced rider in the super sport class. And if he goes through his motions, he's going to be competitive. And I mean, we saw that, I think, at Road Atlanta. I think in the first session he did, I don't know, five timed laps. But I remember watching and he had gone out and come in several times. And when he was over 
almost two-thirds of the way through the session, he got his first flying lap in, and it went red, 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 fastest lap in the 29s at mm-hmm. that point. And I went, okay, <laughs> not something in my, in my time that Josh has really been known for right. to go out and jump up to speed super fast. So I go, okay, I, I feel like if I were out there, I would be in a good position right now to make this hard. So um, I, I, I think, you know, I haven't been here in a long time. I actually, I, I got on the podium both times in 2019 in Supersport here when we showed up with our own bike. I actually got on the podium in both races there. Okay. I, I got second in the rain to, to Hayden, and I think I got third in one race to PJ and Bobby. Um, but, I mean, uh, overall, this is a pretty good racetrack for me. I am in a much better place than I was in 2019. Right. Um, we haven't had to the strain of the logistics of the motorcycle. I have a crew that's built me a great bike, um, and I'm confident of that. And I've gotten to ride my 600, and I got to race Daytona, and I've gotten to ride quite a bit more. I actually, after Daytona, uh, I picked up Rocco Landers, and I spent time on my 600 on track chasing Rocco, which hasn't been easy. Um, I did six days at the racetrack with him. So I have actually gotten quite a bit of riding in at a pretty good pace. And one of the hardest things that I found was I do a lot of coaching on Dunlop Q4s on my stock Mm -hmm. R1. And I can go pretty darn fast on those things. But whenever I would jump back on a race bike, like when I got to ride the Attack Superbike, I struggled a bit with how much grip you have in the front and how much you can load the front tire and get away with. And it was really hard to make myself go there not being practiced at it because I haven't ridden a superbike in anger in a long time. So um, that's been the hardest thing. So if I can make that transition pretty quickly, I feel like I can be competitive quickly here at VIR. So here's something that I'll readily admit to you guys and I'll admit it to the fans watching this and listening. Big admission here. (laughs) Yeah, big. I'm gonna fall on my sword. (laughs) I mean, I I looked at I had cereal for breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, confession. I don't eat breakfast. (laughs) No. So we look at our, we we have records. We look at what the fastest lap times are in each class going into a round. And I continually see in Supersport, it's Garrett Gerloff, J.D. Beach, 2017. And I'm like, we now have 750s and a 955 in Supersport. Why why are those records? What, you you what neutered were, those motorcycles, though. Well, that's they are not full blown. Well, I get it. But, I mean, what's going on with the, your bike compared to like Garrett Gerloff's time period? I don't know. I was kind okay. of focused on my super bike at the time. Right. But those two guys were pushing each other at a world class level. Right. You know, and there there is a, a huge transition in level uh, of uh, let me let me not say level, but the number of experienced guys in each class. Right. Like. There was a, a there was a time where there was like a mass exodus, mm-hmm. and there then there was like myself, Roger, and Larry Pegram were the three old school guys that were left here. Everyone else came from when we did our rookies cup here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. you look at Gagne and Gerloff and and uh, uh, JD and yep. in that crew, and and then you know you look at Sean and Richie, and they didn't get to see like their their the transition was was kind of like slow and muddy for a lot of years. And then there was like this cliff and a new transition into a new group and technology changed at the same time with tires and things like that. So the, the transition, I don't know like where the lap times necessarily go to and come from, but they, they have given enough time. We did get to see Supersport, yes. Sean and, and Richie get in there and finally get to some, some lap record yep. pace and some stuff like that. But uh, you know, Sean got a year of, 
of Bobby and, or so did Richie. They got a year of like Bobby and Hayden Gillum and some other experienced guys who had gotten to ride with my crew and my group before that of, of experienced guys, a, a larger pool of, of experience. And so they, they find their way a little bit more quickly, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I think that you, you ride up to your competition yeah, and if there's not a couple of you pushing each other, then everybody's going to settle in and get comfortable where they are. Right, and so somebody they you know they really have to start taking some risk and chances and going, okay, I'm going to figure out how to get there, hell or high water. You know, <laughs> you know? this is interesting because this Josh once told me he talks about the wing nut behind the handlebars this is one of the adjustments you can make. <laughs> just so no, I said it's the most adjustable thing right. on the bike is the wing nut behind the handlebars. And the question I had was more I was more asking about what I. Th- I'm trying to understand about the performance of the motorcycle. And even we can focus on the R6. I didn't know if there was something in Moto America's rules that are preventing the times from being what they were in 2017. You went right to the rider, which is a fair assessment. I didn't think of that. But, I mean, is there something? It's usually what it is. Right, but I didn't know if there's something with maybe what our rules are. I don't think technology has gone backwards. Well, I wouldn't think so, but, you know, I I didn't know. I don't think so. I think that... You know, there were a couple of years there, I think, where the super sport bikes were allowed uh, some things that made them pretty fast. Right. Uh, I, I, again, I was pretty focused on super bikes, right. so I wasn't paying a lot of attention to it. But there were some things, and, and you know, the Graves crew were pretty pretty uh, adamant of, of taking care of all the things. They still had a lot, of, a lot of help from Yamaha, a lot of support to be able to make that program happen. And they stretched those bikes hard, as do M4. Right. And, uh, but, I mean, the big thing I see right now is the turnover in the youth and the class and, and the guys coming up. I, I'm also uh, unpopularly <laughs> uh, not a believer that, that, like, Junior Cup is a very good uh, building point jumping into super sport. I'm seeing a lot of people having a difficult time whenever they jump. go to super yeah. sport from, from that. I don't think that uh, today's junior cup bikes are teaching fantastic habits of, of what it takes to be successful on higher, higher end motorcycles. Um, <sighs> Twins cup is growing pretty big. Stock thousand is growing pretty big and it is a better, I think, uh, learning way mm-hmm. to get there. Now I'm, a, I'm, I'm a lover and believer in, in middleweight racing right so I, i'm a strong believer in super sport and uh the technology that was there was at near the highest level near near the 1000s and the super bikes for a lot of years and um so i like I, I like and want to see a lot of depth in the super sport class um and it's probably my my favorite class to ride i wanted to be in super bikes because that's where the fast guys were <laughs> you right know? and i wanted yeah. to race the fastest guys in the world but i probably for the for the pure like Super sport racing is pure racing to me, and and uh, I really enjoy being a part of that. Well, let's think about this. So, and I know you bleed blue. You're Yamaha blue, so I understand where you're going to go blue. from. But I want to compare two things. You raced at one time a Honda Formula Extreme bike, which was, for all intents and purposes, a mini super bike. Yep, yep. Was that bike still, performance-wise, a little bit of a step above the R6 super sport bike now? Can you even there, remember that? No, I, man, we went so fast on those things. I, we went so fast on those that there are we we struggled on super bikes for you for a few years there. One thing that happened was the transition when when Dunlop shut down the UK factory and we went to the US made tires. It took a little bit of time. The UK factory had been building race tires for decades, and the the materials, all the things that have to happen in race tire development that they got there and were sourced there 
worked. And whenever it happened in the U.S., it took quite a few years to catch up. Now, the U.S. tires have gotten incredibly good, I think, personally. I know um, they are different than like the Dunlops that are running Moto2, but they, they definitely have some very good strong points. We were able to see lap record pace at the end of races with our tires. The consistency of the tire has been fantastic. Um, and it took a little bit of time for them to grow and get there. So now we're seeing super bikes breaking track records again and things like that because we're finally getting to that point. But it took a long time mm -hmm. uh, for Cameron to catch up to where I got to, I wanna say in 2012 at Road America, you know, on the UK rears, um, front end rears. Man, I, I got, I believe I've gotten to the tens, maybe the nines at that racetrack a long time ago. And I know that the technology has gotten better in the machines up to that point. The track hasn't deteriorated too much. So I think it took a little bit of time for that tire technology to catch up. Um, and then along with that, the, the electronics are kind of coming along with it. So I, I think one thing is the bikes are getting so complicated mm -hmm. with all the electronics that are involved. Um, I, I feel like it is very easy for even even at the top level teams for the the focus to get to be so much on electronics and traction control and all these other rider aids available that the chassis gets kind of left to the side from time to time. Right. And so we're not getting the most out of the machines that we can get all mm. of the time. And some of that's just going to be a learning process, but also um, again when, when you get a rider that goes okay. I'm, I know I want TC, but I, I need the power because I need to go with this guy at this point. The true competition is what's going to bring that out at some point. And keep in mind, everybody, that this is a situation. This is a guy who's had enough experience that he raced in a time period where there wasn't any electronics. Oh, and I think he even liked it that way. <laughs> uh, I mean, the uh, wheels were still round back then, by the way. I'll, I'll admit that. But Technology happens for a reason. You can't stop it. Right. right? And the stuff is good. But let's just say it, they're when you get it into the racing application and how much adjustability we have, um, it's easier to get wrong than it is to get right sometimes. Yeah. And so um, I, as someone who now is working with the coaching and kind of a little bit on the technical aspect of understanding what's happening, um, everything is getting really tricky rather than keeping it simple. And, and as much as people talk about wanting it simple, they love it tricky. They love having the new technology mm -hmm. and all these cool little parts and gadgets that are sometimes unnecessary. For a long time, like a kid that was coming up and was fast would jump on a super sport bike and just ride it. Just, just ride. ride the crap out of it. And some of those guys, when they would go to Superbike, they would fail because the stuff got too to tricky. <laughs> so now there's the potential, I think, as what you're kind of saying is you, you could get, you could go down the wrong rabbit hole as a kid now on a super sport bike because you're not just able to just go ride it. You have to um, think about different things like it, electronics and. And it's, I mean, it doesn't just fall on the rider. There's, everybody wants to contribute. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty competitive now because there's so few, you know, technical side people, but they want to contribute. Your crew chiefs and guys like that really want to help you. And, and they have, I think a little bit of it, sometimes it gets forgotten that I don't need the best bike on the track. I just need a good one to show what I can do. But if I don't ride the same bike two or three times in a row, how can I ever figure out how to get the most out of it? Like, even I'm not good enough to go out and ride one bike one time and go, okay, nobody can go faster than that. Right? <laughs> you know, you, you got to give me a little time to work into things and get, get there. And everybody's so quick to go, oh, I feel this. Oh, let's fix that. Rather than go, okay, is this a problem I need to fix or do you need a few more laps? 
And the guy's got to be confident enough to go, okay, yeah, give me a little more time. Let me see if I can figure this out. It's like and, repaving the track instead of just riding around the bump. <laughs> a little bit, you know, like, so, uh, I mean, it's, it's, there's a healthy mix of all of those things, but the complication basically, I think, is part of what can be stunting and holding things back. I think the technology is good. It's figuring out how to get the most out of it and, and being pushed and driven by the right factors around you, you know? So we'll, we'll get there when... I want to, this is, we're running out of time, but I want to touch on this since you talked about electronics. I want to bring it into Moto2 for a minute and just ask a couple questions. I want to get your feeling about Cameron Bobier and also um, Sean Dylan Kelly. Sorry, lost my mind for a minute. And Joe's doing great, but I'm just talking about, you mentioned about 600. So I thought, okay, and I think a lot of people felt this. Sean Dylan Kelly went from Super Sport into Moto2, fairly comparable a little bit. I mean, no, no uh, traction control to worry about. Cameron kind of had to unlearn all the electronics that we were just talking about. I thought that Sean might go in there and start off maybe doing a little bit better. And I'm not trying to rag on him, but I, I just, do you think, do you think it, it's just Moto2? It's, it's tough. It's, it's such a tough series because they're all the same engines and what they're dealing with. Um, did you think he was going to do better, I think, to start with, because he didn't have to unlearn some things electronically? Because they don't have traction control, by the way, which is the point I'm getting at. Um, I don't think that has anything to do with it. Okay. Personally. Um, things are coming around for Cameron. He's starting to get a little more steady. Like, I, I think there's a lot to just traveling the world championship. And Cameron was a homebody. He liked being home. You right. Know? So this right. was a – this was – a good tra a transition that needed to happen, but it wasn't one that I think he was super excited about at first for, for the fact of not being around home for a long time. So, but I think there were some team aspect things that changed during the year. So it made it a little tough. And he finally has gotten to a point where he's getting a little more steady and things are starting to happen for him a couple weeks in a row. Um, Joe's got quite a few years there that he's been knocking it out. Uh, Sean, uh, man, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of belief in Sean. I yeah. am a fan of Sean. Yeah. And I think he is better than what we're seeing right now. I don't know the hows or whys we got there. I watched pretty close for quite a bit. I know that he went over there early. He had a Moto2 bike that he just rode at track days. He went with one guy and he just went and rode at track days. And when he showed up at his first official test, which was their last test in Jerez at the end of the year, he was like P9. He was in the top 10. He was well in front of Cameron mm -hmm. and was actually riding really well. And from what I have seen, I don't know the hows or whys, but progressively every weekend has been worse. Mm. He's going in the wrong direction. And I don't think it's because Sean's not a good motorcycle racer. Right. I don't think it's because he can't adapt to a Moto2 bike. Right. I don't know enough about what's going on around him to understand what's happening. But um, I'm upset, not at <laughs> Sean, at what I'm seeing because I think he's better than that. And, and I felt the same way about Cameron last year. I know how good Cameron is. And so seeing him struggle and run around outside of the top 20 wasn't exactly how I pictured right. it. That's not, that's not the Cameron Bovier I know. And I don't think that that's Sean either. Uh, I think Sean is better than that and he can be competitive, but there are so many things that have to go right. And then it is easy to get beaten down when you're 0.8 off and you're outside of the top 15 because in, in our paddock with the depth that we have, 0.8 off is you're not going to be outside the top five. Exactly. It's just yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. So. Oh, it's very ultra competitive, no doubt. 
We got to end. Okay, so we're going to wrap <laughs> it up here. Um, so we're at VIR this weekend, obviously. Josh Hayes is going to be out on the track at racing at Supersport. There's two races. Um, subscribe to Moto America Live Plus so you can catch those races. Um, and, you know, absolutely, it's this is something we all want to see because this tr- this class is real interesting. There's a lot going on in it. And we obviously have Josh Heron, who's a former teammate who's shown to be kind of the, the guy, that, the rabbit that they're chasing right now. And, yeah. and you know what my favorite part is? <laughs> he mentioned it on the podium and in the press conference that I was coming this weekend. So he's thinking about oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and let's watch this guy with the mind game because his mind game is pretty strong. So If you look at my Strava, I hit it pretty hard the last couple of weeks, too. <laughs> and he's got a, he's got, he's got, he's rocking this hairdo now. It's looking pretty good. He's looking I mean, like a serious racer. I tell again. my guys plan for success. So Absolutely. Shave it up, clean it up, be ready to, be ready to win. And, and listen, if, if there's a chance, and there may be, I mean, you'll probably, you'll see Josh, he does some stuff with Robbie Floyd. I don't know if you yeah, do it. Yeah, usually coffee, coffee time. Yeah, yeah so yeah. that'll be this weekend, too. So on top of everything else Josh is doing, you'll see him on some other parts if you're on Moto America uh, Live Plus, and please subscribe again. Thanks, everybody, and it's great to have Josh. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Thanks Paul. Josh.